Fernando Alonso, thanks for agreeing to talk to Gareth Jones on speed. Sure, it's no problem. Are you okay to start the interview now? Absolutely, go ahead. Okay, first question. Situate in time law are all gothy pencampuriaith a beard. What? Situate in time law are all gothy pencampuriaith a beard. I'm sorry, I don't understand you. Yeah, that's because I'm speaking in Welsh, Fernando. Are you saying that you can't speak Welsh? No, well, I guess many people can't. Right, and so if I keep speaking Welsh, you'd find that frustrating and annoying. Yes, I would. Good. Well, as we say in Wales, Tamornesa Pida Sharad Ara Radio and a Daleg. What does that mean? It means next season don't talk on the pit radio in Italian then. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth and I have to admit the thing I probably hate most in the world when I'm out driving are cyclists who don't have lights on their bikes. I wouldn't dream of going out on my bike without a light. What are these people? They've got a death wish. Zog, do you have a pet hate in driving? I've got a couple. People who don't understand rights of way at roundabouts is quite a big one. Um, you give way to the right of traffic already yeah, on the road. Yeah, but it's, it's remarkable how many people don't seem to get that. And it applies at mini roundabouts as well, remember. But the thing that's been bugging me just recently is lane discipline on motorways. I've been doing more motorway miles recently than I have been for a while. And I've been a bit shocked to be reminded about how bad people are at pulling over into the left-hand lane. OK. Actually, I want to talk about motorway driving with you in more depth in a moment. I think that's worth exploring, okay. that is. Richard, you got any pet hates when you're out driving? Mm. Loads. Cyclists, scooter riders, <laughs> other motorists, courses. other motorists getting in the way. <laughs> I'm busy. <laughs> Just a general dithering. I find it's okay. I'm not advocating that you should be roaring through 30 mile an hour zones at 100 miles an hour. It's quite the opposite, but dithering. What, you should be roaring through 100 mile per hour zones at 30 mile per hour? What are you yeah. saying, Paul? Well, that would be dithering, you see. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah, a true, a yeah, 100 yeah. mile an hour zone would be an extraordinary <laughs> place. It was enforced minimum speed limit, which I suppose there would have to be for safety's sake. But then someone in a Corsa would drive in and they would inevitably get. I took a picture. The other week, I had to go to Boreham Wood, which, no offence if you live in Boreham Wood, but your town is the worst place on earth. And, um, <laughs> and uh, People always do that when they say, with respect. With respect. Yeah, no offence. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have no respect. I used to work in Boreham Wood. It's a hateful place. I don't know what is wrong with it, but it is just a weird, strangely unfriendly, rather bleak little town that sort of hovers on the outskirts of a bigger conurbation. And I had to go there because there's a big pet shop there. That's as simple as that. I had to go and buy some things for my dog. Because this is what you do now. Yeah, well, she wanted the new Crystal Castles album. She wanted uh, a couple of new dresses and the things. Oh, wait, what? And so... um, I went to this massive pet soup store on a Saturday. It was a horrible experience from start to finish. And in this incredibly packed car park in this shopping complex on the outskirts of Boreham Wood, where you could barely find a space, there was a Vauxhall Corsa parked so ineptly that it took up two spaces. Oh, of course. It was, it was a, a Corsa. Sort of, yeah. a, a, about a quarter of the front end of the car was into the next space. It was at a terrible angle. And it was so bad I took a picture of it just because... 
it spoke volumes about everything that's wrong with anyone who buys a Vauxhall Corsa. Because if you buy a Corsa, it shows you care so little about cars that by association you care so little about driving. You're and not going to be good about it, yeah. and you're not going to put any work into uh, it because yeah, it's just point. a chore for okay. you. And uh, it's only made worse because you drive a car that makes driving a chore. You know, perhaps if you bought a Fiesta or even a Polo or something like that, you'd go, oh, it doesn't have to be like this. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. maybe now I'll pay more attention. So I suppose what I'm saying really is that, and this probably applies to all of us, that our pet hates about things on the road are mostly around selfishness. Because there's a lot of us out there on the road, yeah. Yeah. and we all have to be considerate. Learn how to use a roundabout, because it makes everything move faster. Yeah. Learn the right discipline on the motorways, because it makes everything work And learn to park properly, so that you don't inconvenience. Yeah. Don't take up two bloody spaces in a busy shopping so car park. For you, it's parking. For me, it's cyclists without lights. For you, Zog, it's lane discipline of motorways. And, and, and all of this is dealt with in the very first sentence of the last version of the Highway Code I read, which I can't remember, it was a few years ago. Well, I think the very first sentence in the Highway Code is something like, you share the road with other road users. And you start from that point. You're hmm. sharing it. So they have as much justification to be on that bit of road as you do, and so a bit of deference. Now, we're yeah. quite polite guys, aren't we? We're the kind of people... F*** off. <laughs> <laughs> We're the kind of people who, you know, we will hold doors for people who are carrying trays of coffee and, yes. and not yeah, let yeah, go at the yeah, last yeah. minute. You know, yes. <laughs> if there's a queue, no. we'll take our place at the back of the queue and yes. we'll wait politely. And we'll there. Yeah, don't yeah. like queue jumping. No, no, I'm not uh, into that at all. It's a British thing. Lane discipline in Germany is very good because in Germany, if there's a rule, you stick to it. Right. You would expect that lane discipline in Britain should be good because, oh, no, no, there's a queue. Everyone, you know, we should be good at following those rules, but we're not. Well, it's- I think maybe that's part of the problem that we're so conditioned and so very, very good at joining a queue. Yeah. That sometimes there's an outside lane full of cars and they're mm. all doing 55 miles an hour on a motorway because nobody's thought to move across back into one of the other lanes mm-hmm. because they're yeah. too busy I'm in a queue yeah, good yeah. nice orderly straight yeah, line yeah. of cars I don't know or it could just be blithering selfishness and they should all be machine gunned but I sound like bloody Jeremy Clark well we all have this problem so you, you did some motorway driving you were saying as Richard says you know we just seem to be terrible at this in Britain I guess I'd forgotten how bad it often is mm. so few drivers will pull over when they're not actually on their way to overtake somebody so many drivers will just stick in the middle lane so you end up with this queue of cars in the middle lane yeah. of a three-lane motorway. Lots of space in the left-hand lane, slow lane, whatever you want to call it, which isn't being used and is therefore slowing down the general flow of traffic behind. And it's not as safe, you know, if you're not using as much of the space on mm. the road as you could. It's, in the end, less safe as well as less quick. This rule about pulling over to the left just doesn't seem to be getting through to people. I don't know. question is, what do we, as responsible drivers do about it when finally you creep past that burke who's sitting at the front of this middle lane queue causing all these guys to stack up behind him in the middle what do you do do you stay in the outside lane and just get the heck out of there 
do you pull over left relatively close in front of them, looking in the mirror and very clearly making a point of moving over to the left-hand lane so they get the clue, oh, I might not do it as well. Yes, I find myself doing that a lot. Very pointedly obeying. I sometimes do it. If you're in the very outside lane, lane three, as that's sometimes called. Lane three, yeah. Overtaking lane two. And and then you go past somebody and the inside lane, lane one, is full and there's lorries there. But there's somebody who's being a bit of a div in just sitting in the very outside lane. And I find myself very pointedly moving to the middle, even if it's only for a short space of time and I know I have to move out again mm. behind mm. them because mm. they're still sitting there. Mm. Just to make the just point. Just make the of, point. Look, yeah. look what I'm doing. If you yeah. see me in your mirrors, see what I'm doing. I'm not swerving around like a silly idiot. Mm. I'm just trying to make this all work properly. Mm. I'm just making a clear signal, moving over. And yes, look at light. me doing it properly. Now, yeah. why don't you get it through your thick skull? This is how we can all help each other. Just because you've got a... Stupid bloody Audi A4 does not make you own this motorway. <laughs> I used to think that this was a very British thing. You know, I was saying the reason why we do it is you'd think being British that we'd be orderly, but I think the reason why we do it is British. You know, an Englishman's home is his castle. You know, it's territorialism. We've got a finite amount of space on this septed aisle, and people sit in the middle. Oh, this is my position. Elbows out. You know, that's why. Which is a classic to a bit of driving psychology. I mean, you know, you know mm-hmm. that you know that's a, you know when you get in your car, you're carrying your little personal space with you, mm-hmm. and you really don't want it intruded on. And you. Well, I think we've become more. More selfish as a country, and I'll tell you how you can notice this as well. Airport baggage carousels. Oh, now, the thoughtful thing is to stand well back from the carousel until you line. see your yeah. suitcase, yeah. then go forward and get it. Then all of the 400 okay. people yes. of the massive <laughs> aeroplane can all get their bags. But no, the first bunch of <laughs> who get off the plane go and stand jam hard up against it. I hope they get sucked into the mechanism it's the single most selfish thoughtless inappropriate behaviour that a human being can do in the modern world had some trouble at airport every bloody time I go to the airport it drives me bananas because there is no need for it and when I get my bag off if you've ever been in your selfish stupid pathetic brainless knees by my very sharp edged suitcase I'll tell you it wasn't an accident I did that deliberately to make you pay for your selfishness and Richard doesn't drive in the same way I'm not allowed to drive anymore the doctor says it makes me too angry (laughs) no the motorway thing is the same I'll tell you one thing though too much space on British motorways because you notice in in France no no, I'll tell you what in France and Italy where you would think as well that often if you've ever been in an Italian post office they're not so keen on the queue Mm. you'd think they may wouldn't be so good on the motorways but they only have two lanes on a lot of their motorways True, yeah. so there is a yeah. greater need for everyone to try and work yeah. to make this thing keep flowing yeah. and a friend of mine once said the best thing he said he described it as French motorways it's as if the inside lane barrier is magnetic everybody stays in the inside lane until they need to overtake then they move out they go round the thing that's in the way the lorry the slower moving yeah. down whatever and then they pull back in again when it's clear and that keeps them going. If you ever get to a bit of Italian or French motorway where there are three lanes, it actually goes to pot a little bit. So because maybe, that, maybe that's too much space. And that's got, the same we, problem. We've we, we, we got too many options. Too, many, too options, many options, exactly. That's, it's overwhelming us. Uh, You've been listening to Grumpy Old Drivers. <laughs> Hello, uh, welcome to driver training. Uh, now, a simple question to start. Tell me, this road sign, a blue sign with a white surround and a little white line pointing left, what does it mean? Uh, turn uh, right. No, wait. 
Uh, roundabout. No, um, a heavy load of head? I'm sorry, I really don't know. Oh, well, that is a shame. I don't either. I was hoping you could tell me. Well, look, here's your driving licence anyway. Remember, on a motorway, always keep... Uh, no, never... I, I mean, uh, s- sometimes keep left, but... R- no, to r- right? Left? R- uh, uh, no, I'd, I think I was right first time, wasn't I? Or was it... Uh, tell you what, I'll just stay in the middle lane to be on the safe side. Good idea. Away you go. If you follow me on Twitter, that's uh, Gareth Jones TV, then you'll know that recently I drove up to North Wales to take part in what was called a low carbon event, the Gwydiad Carbonicel. It was bilingual, I did the whole thing in English and in Welsh. And the idea was to encourage kids in northwest Wales, sort of around Bangor, Anglesey, that part of the world to consider a career in a low-carbon industry, because in the future there are going to be more and more low-carbon industries. And in Northwest Wales, that specifically means electrical generation using nuclear power at the Wilver Power Station on Anglesey, or working with the companies who are turning wind power into electrical energy with the lots of offshore and onshore wind farms that there are in Northwest Wales. So being as this was a low-carbon event, I, I thought, right, I'll go open a low-carbon car. So I did a straw poll taking suggestions. Most people suggested things like uh, McLaren P1s because they're very low and have got a lot of carbon on board. I think they deliberately missed the point. (laughs) But what I chose in the end was the Citroen DS5 Hybrid 4, which is a low-carbon car because it only produces 98 grams of badness per kilometre of goodness. That's the new scale. That's how they measure them these days. Uh, I'd also be slightly odd about the use of grams of carbon per kilometre. For a given fuel, whether it's diesel or petrol, that figure is entirely interchangeable with your mileage, your MPG, or rather yeah. there's simply a numerical factor to convert one to the other. Yeah. You only something. need one number. You only need one yeah. number, whether it's MPG uh, or your emissions number, but yeah. uh, you don't need both. It's almost sort of complicating things by, um, the by introducing our, um, the emi- car tax system and stuff prefer the grams per kilometre, which is just taken mm. at a certain point in the standard laboratory rolling road cycle on which the EU standard figures are calculated. But it's interesting, we're getting a whole generation of cars now where I suspect they're being set up deliberately to shine yep. at these precise points, these precise yep. cycles that are run. And so you've got cars like the Fiat 500 Twinner that I've got, which is a sub-100 grams per kilometre car. It's claimed to be capable of something like 67 miles per gallon. It never does that in mm. real life. I mean, I don't think any cars do do their real mile per gallon, their laboratory mile per gallon brochure figures in real life. But the disparity between the brochure figure and reality with my Fiat is it's bigger than most. Yawning, yeah. and if you look on the internet, you'll find mm. the most twin air owners who've at least expressed an opinion are having the same situation. It's fine. Mm. It's a great little car. It's not exactly thirsty, and as I've said before on the show, it just sort of basically levels out to about thirty-nine miles to gun everywhere. No matter how you drive, yeah, it's not yeah. terrific, but it's fine. Well, it's fine. I'll come to the efficiency, the performance of this car in terms of economy and green stuff in a moment, but not before I've discussed its appearance. I think this car is cracking looking. It is science fiction. It looks 
more modern than anything in Space 1999 did in 1970-something when it was made. Proper modern. What you now, you is, know that what? those Eagle transporters, that, Great. The, that's a fantastic bit of design. Yeah. I'm not going to have you saying that that, well, uh, this that, before, that vehicle... Well, this before, the DS5 was white and had an element of the Eagle transporter about it. It has a great stance. I, I love the way this car looks. And it echoes old DS stuff, that kind of tapering rear roof thing that's going on. There's a real DS parked on this road. I want to take a picture of mine, say a real one. That's interesting, isn't it? Yes. It's not a real Um, DS. Do you know what I liked about the DS5? You've driven um, it as well, I've driven the normal, just diesel, automatic... And then just a couple of weeks ago, I drove the hybrid four. Have you? Yeah. And we'll get onto that in a minute. But just mm. looks wise, it is a terrific looking Ace. car. Some really nice detailing. It. One of the bits I really liked is that if you sort of follow the sculpting that goes along below the windows and mm. the metalwork, and then it arrives at the back of back door side window, and there's a sort of scallopy type swoop mm-hmm. thing. It's quite subtle, but you just spot it, and it catches the light. It's, mm. it's beautiful. And so there is there's quite a lot of sculpting work going and on. And detailed yeah. arrows. Yeah. Nice there are tiny it's little ribs and fins. You know, we spotted on, was it the uh, Auris? Well, Auris, yeah, yeah. The Motor Show in Paris. There, yeah. there are little ribs and things mm. on the rear of the third light is that what they call it at the back yeah the one at the top the vertical running down the back of the rear glass side rear side glass oh the light. window right mm. yeah there's loads of nice little detail whether it's functional aero stuff or it's just things they've mm. done because they look nice but it's a really striking car has a fundamental flaw though you know the picasso the previous generation picasso mm. you know the way that the old picasso has this additional a pillar now when you sit high up in a sort of mpv kind of car you look down through that, you have good visibility. If you sit low in a car that's got that, you are f- Honestly, <laughs> really sweary program. <laughs> I feel personally responsible yeah. for starting this foul-mouthed sort of it, Formula One led the way on the podium type yeah, yeah, episode. I'm going to tell you about But visibility on roundabouts in this car is shocking. You're going to do I'm it. Again, is it again, <laughs> <laughs> we got off lightly. You okay. are continuously trying to move your head to look between the A and the extra A pillar to see cars entering the roundabout. Hmm. It's ever so hard. And I can't remember a car with as bad visibility as that since I drove, oh, God, I don't know, Rover P6 or something like that. That Rover was even P6 better. has amazing yeah. visibility. The pillars are very slim. Shocking. I wrote some other well, stuff. Thing, old cars do, generally. Yeah. They're really thin pillars. Well, yeah, I'm because, amazed. And, and they generally crumple in a crash, unlike yeah. nice, <laughs> you know, it's a bit you know, and yang. Modern, yeah. no, well-designed yeah. modern cars, which, which stand up better to it. And I guess that's one of the reasons why those pillars aren't so... It had hmm. some... Do you remember the GS, the Citroen GS, or was it the GSX, which had those satellite controls off the steering wheel? It had a very unusual rotary set of controls, and that was kind of wacky and classically Citroen. Mm. The ergonomics in this car, it was also sh**. Didn't work. I'm having a right old swear today. And in this new Citroen, the ergonomics were rubbish as well. I couldn't see half the instruments. And yeah. the, the, I couldn't read what the sticks were for. I was mm. really struggling. Sticks. I mean, sticks. Stalks. Yeah, stalks. Sticks. Sticks. I'm a drummer. Stalks. Sticks. Stalks. Sticks. Yeah. Stalks. And well, because I think the problem there is that I thought that the steering wheel was too big and fat. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah no, that's probably heavy. what it is. Big four-spoke wheel mm. with a huge sort of central boss. You know, Citroen for a while dallied with this fixed central boss. Yes, and the, and the moving wheel thing went yeah. right yeah. off idea really mm. quickly. Mm. And this car doesn't have it. Feels like it sort of should because it needs this quasi-futuristic, yeah. easier to see through to wheel. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Well, really, it needs a big one-spoke wheel like Citroen's of the That would the be past. beautiful. Mm. I'm yeah. sure they could do it now. Airbag technology's moved on, but you can stick an airbag into it. Pretty tiny. Other well, ergonomic. Yeah. things as well you know it's got this lovely roof which is split into two glass panels with a strip down the middle with all the controls for your bloody head-up display that this car's got yeah. up here the controls for that the controls for the lines that cover the glass panoramic roof mm-hmm. they're all in a center console in the roof to your left as the driver looks right I can't focus on that. Mm. I can focus on things miles away. I can focus on things as an arm's length. If I've got to change my focus from the deep road ahead to any instruments up here, I'm stuffed. I cannot do it. It's the only car I've found with so much stuff up there. Bad idea, Citroen. Since you mentioned it, how's the head-up display? Fascinating. And a little bit distracting. You've got to tweak with it. They don't project onto the windscreen. Mm. They have a little Perspex plate which flips up and oh, really? hovers between you yeah, yeah i and don't know why this but peugeot citroen group this is the technology they use it feels like it's sort of a generation out of date you don't need to loads of that. other people have figured out how to just project yeah. onto a windscreen i have them for years well, oh well I I think, i'm sure they could do that i'm sure there's a design reason for it well you, i think you can easier to you can alter the angle of that glass so it can match your seat position so it's always perfectly in view but the ones that project yeah. onto the screen you just a, move the projector yeah, do you? Just move the projector, yeah you see that's bonkers as well it had a fridge very Cool. Thank, Thank you. you. I'll be here all week. It did. Have a, it, it, did <laughs> oh. it actually did. It had a cool section, but I was a bit worried to put my sat nav in there, connected via the USB thing. I was worried it wasn't going to work because it was too cold in there, and it wouldn't read the SD card on my sat nav. If I used that as in the USB extension and plugged it in, so you can play media off your SD card, one time out of ten, it actually worked. It's the only car I've ever found cannot read an SD card of thirty-two gig. Did you try another SD card? No, I didn't, actually. No, I didn't try another SD card. Okay, can I go to, but mine did work once, but then not work again. Right, okay. There okay, so, so it is probably reading, not the card. And there are other cars I've had where you take your SD card out and pop it into the dash, like in the Audi, and it plays it no problem. Hmm. BMW, no problem. Anyway, it only runs on the electric motor for very short periods of time. See, I love cars that pull away under electric power. I think that's the right thing to do. It's better than using a starter motor. Use your electric motor, get rolling, bump start the engine. Brilliant. The electric motor barely ever, ever, ever cut in. Yes, it was thrifty. 44 to 46 miles per gallon, which is pretty good, considering how we were driving. I think that's pretty good. But it has a diesel engine. It has a diesel engine. You'd think a car that size with a diesel engine would do that anyway. I think this thing, Mm. if I drove it deftly, probably get 50... Two fifty-four miles per gallon, I think, which matched the B series. So it's you know it's up there, it's right up so, there. Can you remember what the sticker figure for? Uh, uh, I can um, tell you. It's uh, written uh, Have a look at that. It's on there somewhere. Will you okay. dig that out? But my biggest criticism of this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful car is the transmission. Driving this car was like trying to pick up a fifteen-pound stage weight using knicker elastic. You pull at it, pull at it. It comes off the ground. It catches you up. You off. So- it was all over the place. The combination of the diesel and the electric motor didn't work. I don't know if it was hmm. the gearbox or the software or what, but it would accelerate and then you'd hit the rev limiter and it all get it would drag you back and then you'd go again. It was horrible. And I hate to say that because it's beautiful. This car is 
beautiful. But of any car I've driven recently, this is the one that works the worst. I'm glad you mm. said all that. Because I, I drove that hybrid for uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I think it's the worst car I've driven all year. Wow, it, it was unbelievable, it's wasn't it? dreadful. Mm. It gives yeah. you some sense of what it might be like to drive the very, very first prototype of something. That's and they it. haven't done any work on it whatsoever. Yeah, yeah mm. that's the, it. underdeveloped. The yeah. powertrain is shockingly bad. It's like they've just shoved an electric motor under the back and done nothing else yet. And just They're just seeing work. what happens. It's a lash-up the engineers came up with on a Friday yeah. night. And added to that, the chassis is rubbish as well. The ride is appalling. I thought it, it at motorway speeds, it wasn't bad. It was a bit silky I smooth. I can't remember I, the last car I drove that doesn't ride okay on motorways, because motorways yeah. are pretty smooth. Mm. Yeah. But and and on a particularly is, smooth is road, it gets the most out of a smooth road. When you go to a really nice bit of road, it really makes the most of it, but it's very sensitive otherwise. No, I think it's because a smooth road is a blessed relief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, the ride is a falling but then there's no trade-off in the handling the handling is just it feels uh, it's just nose heavy so, or the mm. steering is not quite right somehow the assistance is inconsistent and it's got this massive steering wheel which i think makes things feel worse mm. and the whole thing is just joyless it really is it just feels unfinished it feels so, like they haven't even started they've thrown together a collection of parts and then gone home for the night which so you know, looks great yeah you know great, great first impression but needs another year or two's development reminds yeah. me yeah. of a girlfriend i had a very long time ago gorgeous but very high maintenance. This one just wouldn't chug along nicely. Needed too much care. And I hate to say that because that car should have been fantastic, but it mm. wasn't. Sorry. Pierre? Oui, André? I think that it is time that we here at Citroën made an hybrid model. Uh, this sounds very complicated and also, uh, how you say, extremely expensive. May we? Uh, I estimate to develop such a complex drivetrain would need around 400,000 man hours and cost somewhere in the region of 2 million euros. Mon Dieu! Or I could glue this electric motor from a washing machine to the rear axle for about three euros and fifty cents. Robert et votre uncle. Sounds, uh, how you say, uh, completement rubbish. Let's do it. Vive la France! Richard. Have you personally built any cars recently? Short answer, yes or no? No. No. Zog, have you built a car at all recently? Not recently, no. No. There you go, you see. You? No, I, well, I built a Lego model of the Delta Wing, but that was a niche thing. I wasn't no, volume producing. No, mass production of no. Body. And there you go. That is typical of declining mass production of cars in Europe. I suppose the question really, though, is, Gareth, do you mm. own several factories that are capable of mass-producing cars but that you're struggling to use? Well, I've got a lot of Lego, but we've still got more room in the kitchen if I wanted to build cars. No. No. Mm. Zog, no factories that you can think of? No. Uh, not, not unless no. there's one I've forgotten back out back. No. no. What makes mm. you different from, say, Ford? Or oh, I see, because they Fiat, have those, who they? are saddled with these factories that they can't use over capacity. Over capacity, and car factories really only make sense in the mass production world mm -hmm. if they're running at full chat. 
and anything much less than that, and you're not making much money, if any at all. And this is the problem they've now got, and we've just seen. So Ford are going to close their factory in Genk, which makes them on Deo and the S-Max and the Galaxy at the moment, mm. and move production of those cars to Cologne, to, uh, down to Valencia, Spain as well, Valencia, yeah. yeah. And GM are in all sorts of antsy situations about it. A lot of their factories are in Germany where they've got quite powerful unions that they've still got to fight and they don't want to upset those. Fiat's a weird one. Fiat, what have they to... said? They've made some announcement that you can't build cars in Western Europe anymore, haven't they? Well, Fiat have, to all intents and purposes, given up on the B segment. Well, almost all car making. Yeah. They've explicitly said, we can't build big cars. Mm. It's one sense of I mean, the Chroma and things like that. No, they've mm. stopped doing that because big Fiat's have never done very no, well outside of no, Italy. Sure. So no more of those. But now they're essentially saying that they aren't very good at what's known in the industry as the C segment. We call it the Volkswagen Golf Ford Focus class of car. Fiat Tipo. Yeah, mm. the, 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 Bravo, before that, the Bravo. Strada and, you know. Oh, the Ritmo. Ritmo. Or the uh, same car, was wasn't it? Known yeah. in some places and then Tipo and then Bravo and Bravo and then Stilo and then now it's back to Bravo and then there's just empty space they're not going to bother what they're going to try and do for people who need a bit more room with a fit is just endlessly spin off things using the 500 names so there's the Giardino is it going to be yeah, a 500 well, Giardino there's, there's 500L there's going to be like I think a 500XL and there's a 500 sort of faux off-road a mini countryman type thing the L's already been announced there have been some spy photos and official sketches of the other stuff it all mm. looks borderline awful and you know does, the whole point yeah. about the Fiat 500 is that it's tiny and cutesy and you can't mm. stretch that bug-eyed oh look at me I'm so sweet like a puppy kind of style no, it's to a bigger car it's it immediately small, kills small the point of it form thing and yeah, if you, yeah you can't it's just stupid you know, I mean, even a ladybird that is bigger than the conventional ladybird is a bit threatening girlfriend what do we call those things that come into our kitchen that aren't ladybirds Harlequins. Harlequins. Have you ever noticed these harlequins? They're like perhaps 30% bigger than ladybirds. And they secrete a yellow goo that makes your eyes itch. They're horrid. They're they're an invasive species replacing the ladybird in Britain. No. Ladybird, cute. Cute. 30% bigger, monstrous. Same rule applies to the Fiat 500, doesn't it? That's exactly it. Exactly. So how do you tell the difference between a ladybird and a harlequin other than that one is 30% bigger? If you pick it up and you go, that's not cute, it's a harlequin. Okay. Mm. Ladybirds are really self-evident once you look yeah, at these. Yeah, yeah, ladybirds no, are really no, 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 dinky. You look at them, oh, little tiny little ladybird. If it's bigger than oh, little tiny, it's a harlequin and it's evil. Because funny enough, mm. I think there's a nest of ladybirds, or there was a nest of ladybirds in my house. Probably harlequins. And well, they no, 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 they gather cute, in the top corner of your house. Well, are you sure? No, because cute and small. Cute and small. Oh, okay. And mm. just used to find them on the upstairs landing, just on the banisters and things. Just and hanging out. Yeah, yeah. my wife's going, oh, do you see about these ladybirds problem? And I was like, no, I don't think we do, because they're cute. What's wrong yeah, with them? Yeah. What if it was an infestation of spiders or scorpions or something, <laughs> you'd go, we've <laughs> got to sort this now. Or Fiat 500. Or even, you know, yeah, blue yeah. bottles or wasps or something. <laughs> you go, oh, dirty, unpleasant, get out. But ladybirds, they're oh, sweet. Yeah. Same thing. Oh, there's a load of Fiat 500s living in the loft. Oh, <laughs> leave them there, they're sweet. But if you went, oh, look, there's some big Fiat 500s at the base. On the, plans, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the Pinto platform, you go, ah, get them out, call Red to kill. So this is the problem Fiat have got, but they're giving up on this. And they've also said, the Punto itself, Sergio Marchioni, the sweater-wearing boss Hang of on. Fiat. Sergio Marchioni. That's a guessy Western name, boss yeah. of Fiat. <laughs> Has basically said in a badly dubbed way, I'm sure that. Now, uh, hang on, the uh, dubbing in Spaghetti Westerns is. Very <laughs> don't don't right. start him off on no, that. No, 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 in no, the exquisitely really dubbed way. Right. Don't really <laughs> don't. Right. 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 Moving on, moving on, moving on. So he said 
that for the time being they're not going to replace the Punto directly because there is no money in making hatchbacks of that size and that type in Europe anymore. No point in doing it. Essentially, they're giving up. Now, Renault have just spent a fortune doing the new Clio and Peugeot have just spent a load of money doing the new 208 and, well, the Polo, obviously, is an eternal, the Ford Fiesta. Soldiers on that's made in Spain and in Germany. The Polo's made in Germany. Some car makers are saying, look, we can still make cars in Europe. But Fiat is essentially holding its hands up and saying, we really can't. Renault and Peugeot are teetering on a brink. I think Renault will be saved by Dacia. Yeah, well, well Dacia, that's where they're putting all their efforts. Dacia, that's where all their efforts. Cheapened, into cheapened, Dacia, yeah. pile them high, sell them and cheap. hopefully a Renault premium brand, which... Never going to work. No, Never going to work. Why? Yeah. Why? We've yeah. got enough premium yeah. brands in inverted yeah. commas. But that's where, surely, you have to look for your success as a car company if you're a manufacturer in Europe because you can't compete on the high-volume, low-cost cars. You know, those cars are going to be built more cost-effectively in the Far East, and in the end, you just can't compete. If there was enough of a difference in the sophistication of yeah. the vehicles, of the design, of the quality, then you can still compete. But we know how Far Eastern manufacturing is coming along, and Chinese car makers are going to be producing more and more cars in the future. And Volkswagen are talking about introducing a cheap brand, a low-cost brand like Dacia. What's Skoda for? What's Seat for? Well, make well, up your mind. What's Seat for? That's a good question. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it seems like nobody knows. I think it's a really interesting point that you're making about China. I don't think Chinese car makers, in the short and medium term, will make massive inroads into Europe. Yeah. But what could happen long term is look at the model used by consumer electronics manufacturers. Sony, Apple being a great example. You look at the back of any Apple product, it says, designed in California, Made assembled in China. In China. Yeah, yeah. Now, people actually don't really care where their car comes from. Most BMW X5 owners don't know that their stoutly German, awful person's car is built in America. Most mm-hmm. people who drive an Audi TT don't know it's made in Hungary. Mm-hmm. Most people who have an older Porsche Boxster don't know it's made in Finland, and so on. They think, if you said to them, where's your car from? Oh, Germany. Mm. Because the values that it projects and the engineering and the design come from Germany. Yeah. It's only the final assembly that happens somewhere else where it happens to be expedient to do that. So, yes, building cars in China, where people like Volkswagen already have factories in joint ventures with local manufacturers. Yeah, do very well. Will anyone stop buying a Polo because it's assembled in China? As long as the build quality's all right and they yep. still think it's a stoutly German car that's built mm. with German standards. Yeah. No biggie. Of course they don't like yeah. And we will leave you with this thought, Peugeot, Fiat and whoever else, Ford, who thinks they can't build cars in Europe. If building cars in Western Europe is prohibitively expensive, explain the success of Jaguar Land Rover. You've been listening well, to Well, no, that's... Oh, come on! Whoa, 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 Stop the music! Stop the music! Really? We're going somewhere that would make perfect sense, and then yeah. you veered off into Jaguar Land Rover are selling cars that are very expensive, and, yeah. and Land yeah. Rover actually is shouldering the success burden of that. Jaguar's still got to get their stuff together a little yeah. bit. They're only selling 50,000 cars a year in the whole world. That's yeah. not enough. Pull your socks up. But Land Rover doing very well. Very but profitable. Also, Land Rover cars are always surprisingly expensive. Mm-hmm. Top mm. of the range Freelander, That's 40 grand so. car. Top yeah. of the range Discovery, 50, 50 grand, grand car. Yeah. And it keeps going. The yeah. new Range Rover specking up to 120 grand. And people are buying them. Well mm. done, them. That's great. But that's a premium thing yep. the yep. people who are showing that you can mass produce a car successfully in Europe and more than that in the UK and Nissan yep. who are making the Duke the Qashqai and the Leaf is about to start being it made is. in the UK yeah. but as of 2014 2015 they're going to start making a golf sized car in the UK again 
where they used to make the Almira. The Oris has been made in Burniston. The, the, the Toyota are doing the that Toyota, as well. Yeah, but yeah. I think Nissan are proving Nissan they're actually sort of bringing it all back. And it's like, well, fears are going, oh, no, we can't make medium-sized hatchbacks. No one wants them anyway. We can't make them in Europe. And Nissan are going, but, yes, actually, you can. Just do it properly. Restart the music. You've been listening to Richard Porter. Goodbye. Zog. Goodbye. And I'm Gareth Jones. And if anyone in the motor industry wants to write down any of those thoughts and how to manage their business, we've told you how. Ta-da. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Zeb, great job, absolutely brilliant. You're three times world champion. You might remember I promised you a special gift if you won a third title. Okay, now I know when you won the first title, we gave you an infinity. Yeah. And when you won the second title, we gave you another infinity. Yeah. But this time, it's different, Seb. Three world titles in a row deserve something special. Okay. So this time, I haven't got you an infinity. Oh, I've got you two infinities. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!